0: what's up everyone and welcome into episode number 200 we finally made it to 200 cannot believe we've gotten to 200 episodes for everyone that's tuning in surprise you probably listened to 200 episodes which that means there's only one guest i can bring on and that is of course cole how are you doing cole
1: fantastic my man i'm so stoked to be here um i'm so proud of you getting to 200 episodes. It's a massive achievement. It's a lot of work and prep and sports watching and suffering through some abysmal seasons. And uh, I knew you had it in you, but I'm, I'm very happy to see you get to this moment.
0: Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. And you're very right. It has been lots of sports watching and a lot of very miserable moments because we live in A state that has the city of Detroit and its sports teams, professional sports teams that have been bad for the last 10 plus years. And Michigan State basketball hasn't really done very much of anything lately. Michigan football has been good though, so at least we can watch good football there. But um, yeah, I cannot believe it's been 200 episodes so far. Went by really fast. Hopefully, maybe 200 more to go. We'll see how far I can go. (laughs)
1: 200 how about 2000 how about that
0: 2000 just do this for the rest of my life forever never stop ne- never stop next thing you know you just hear all my episodes playing at my funeral one day when i'm like 80 plus years old and no one can leave until the all sound. the
1: episodes are done <laughs> <laughs> no no
0: no one no one could
1: leave at that point it, it would
0: probably never end or I, I, that point, people would just get annoyed at my
1: voice. Yeah, we got uh, about three and a half years worth of airtime, uh, so everybody's get real comfortable. We're gonna have refreshments at the end, uh, but yeah, just this <laughs> this is what he wanted.
0: Yes, this is this is what I wanted is for everyone to listen to every single recording of this podcast until the end of time.
1: Yes, yes,
0: yeah. But no, it's been it's been crazy. It's been up and down. I've had some awesome guests on here, including you. Always love having you on it's been a little while i think it was like episode like 113 or something like that was the last time you've been on so hopefully we can get you on more often than the last like 87 episodes yeah. but hey you know what? i'm glad that it's worked out i know you've been um insanely busy on your end in life so appreciate you taking yeah. your little time out of your busy day
1: yeah the homeowner now got married you were in my wedding It was uh, a very, very busy summer and fall, but things are finally starting to settle down again. And and yeah, I would love to uh, be a more regular guest on the show. I don't get to talk sports with a whole lot of people. And so getting to come on your show and get to talk shop about all of the things going around in the great state of Michigan is always a, a true pleasure, my man.
0: Hey, you know what? Is that like saying, hey, I want to be the co-host of Michigan Sports. Is that is that what you're hinting at? <laughs> it could be. It could be. It Who, could knows? be. Who knows? <laughs> you, 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 you know I had to throw that in there a little bit. Kind of just say, I'm like, hey, you know what? Love having you on. Would love to have you on. More if that ever works out, that would be great. But honestly, it's a blast. I always love talking. Sports with you, no matter if it's good, it's bad. You and I have been there when it's good. It's when it's been bad. We've been in the same building when yeah. it's been very bad. So we've been through the roller coaster. Yeah, we uh, we have sports emotions. We have,
1: yeah. Well, speaking of a uh, roller coaster of emotions, um, I guess we should probably just jump right into the of basketball, right? I mean, is that where we should naturally go with this one?
0: Oh, absolutely! It's been a very much of a roller coaster. First game you play. James Madison University and you lose in overtime, a complete shock to everyone. No one expected that to happen. I think a lot of people thought that James Madison was like a decent team, but no one projects the number like five or even like the three team to lose at home to James Madison for the first time, I believe, under Tom Izzo. I don't think Tom Izzo's lost at home in the first game under his tenure.
1: I think you're right. Yeah, I feel like I saw some stat after that game where it was, it was like Michigan State hasn't lost a home opener since like 1992 or something like that. Like It was, it was going back a while, but, but yeah, we were at that game. I'm sure that you've already talked to your, your listeners about uh, that experience, but yeah, I was there, you were there, Jude was there, we were <clears throat> enjoying the concessions, but pretty much right from the first tip, that was, uh, was kind of like watching somebody fall down a hill. It was uh, it was not a not an enjoyable experience, and the whole time I kept looking over at you, and you looked like you were dying, and I felt so bad, and <laughs> and we, we forced overtime, and I was like, all right, here we go, we're gonna win in overtime, and then we just continue, or we continued to not be able to hit a shot, and uh, they hit that dagger three at the end, and and that was pretty much it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? Even if I look like that, I was, like I might like look like that, and like a little bit afterwards. Like a little bit down, but like it's always fun. Like, I had an absolute blast. I even told you that we're that after the game, like, even though we lost, it's always a ton of fun. Like, that's just kind of sports. It's just like, it's like you don't feel good after a loss like that, but at the same time, you're there with some really amazing friends, and that's all that matters is that you're just bringing the experience with the. Those individuals, not this, always winning and losing basketball games.
1: one well, how can you not have fun when you're eating ice cream sandwiches, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the whole point.
0: Exactly. That's why you go. That's why we. That's games. why we go.
1: That's why we do it. But, we don't go
0: for the team. We go for the ice cream sandwiches that, that I can even have. Yeah. But... The, yeah.
1: My my pork gluten man can't even have them. But <laughs> but uh but yeah. Well, and obviously we had the the loss to Duke, but the last two games have looked a lot better. Um, Last night we played, um, oh shoot, why am I blanking? It was a small school. Um, Alcorn State. Alcorn State, that's right. And I was able to only catch the first half, but I saw that uh, Trey Holloman shot the lights out. I think he made his first four threes or something like that. Um, Obviously, Cohen Carr got the big poster that everybody's going to the games to see. Um, And you should beat a team like that by a lot when you're Michigan State, but it was good to see that. Finally, that there was some uh, seemingly consistent offense being strung together. And especially since uh, Tyson Walker was sick. Um, So, you know, being able to get great offensive production without your top scoring guard is always a great sign. So who knows? Maybe MSU is starting to kind of turn the corner. Obviously, started the season off on a big slump. And and hopefully, it's uh, all up from here.
0: Yeah, I really think the Duke second half of the game, like I know – in the first half like defense was really good second half the defense wasn't great but the duke second half i think kind of like changed things a little bit like things started kind of click on that offensive end especially shooting the three like michigan state was finally able to hit four i think four or five threes in the second half and some people might say well that's not very many threes well up to that point up going into that game Michigan State was two for 31 from three. So going like three or four or five threes in a single half, that's just a dramatic difference than what Michigan State was doing in the first two, two and a half games. And now in these last couple of games, they've been shooting over 30, 35%. I think they were almost up to 40% last night. And without Tyson Walker, you're probably your best shooter. And you have Trey Holloman that hasn't been known to be like a great shooter. For him to make four or five threes last night without missing a single one, that is huge to what this offense and Michigan State team in general can do this year. If they can get a, another knockdown shooter, sure, which I'm not going to say Trey Hellman is going to be that, but if he can average 30-35% from three and get a little bit of help from like Malik Hall, and then Tyson shoots about 40, and maybe Jaden Aiken shoots about 40. It's not as much shooting as it was last year, but this team defensively actually might be better than last year as well. So maybe there's a little bit of contrast right there.
1: Yeah, I think you make a fair point. Um, I think that pretty much all of Izzo's great basketball teams over the years have been based in a very strong defensive identity. And I think that if this team is going to have a shot at making a run in the tournament, I think that they're going to need to be able to rely on that um i'm also really really excited for the game on thursday against arizona um i know that you're excited for that as well but i'm, I'm stoked to get to see what they can do um obviously caleb love is uh, a fantastic player for for arizona um and i know that generally speaking it seems like msu doesn't always perform the way that we want against blue bloods in the early season but um but i'm just excited for them to continue to get some more uh experience against these big schools before we get into March Um, do you have any sort of thoughts or predictions on the Thursday matchup
0: yeah I think this is a huge matchup in my opinion I think a lot of people would argue that just because of the team and the two teams that are playing in this game but I also think it's a very important matchup because this Arizona team went into Cameron Indoor Stadium and beat Duke on their own on their own home court which in general, is extremely tough. And Izzo even said in a press conference that this will probably be the biggest team Michigan State plays all year, especially in the front court. So it's really going to put a lot of pressure on like Miles Soko, Carson Cooper, Malik Hall, and also a couple other players as well to hit shots from the outside. It does sound like Tyson Walker is going to play. He practiced today as long with Malik Hall that kind of tweaked his ankle yesterday. So this is a really good good opportunity for Michigan State to go in and say, hey, you know what? We can play with these teams and I'm not saying Michigan State has to win this game. It would be extremely nice to win at least one of the three games between Duke, Arizona and Baylor. If they would win one, okay. If you win two, great. You're not going to win all three, right? Like, And we already we already know that because we already lost to Duke, but if you can go in and play at California, which it is, I think this is a good test for Michigan State, and I'm just honestly right now, and some people might say this might be a little bit of a cap out answer, but I'm just looking for like a competitive game. like I'm not I don't want a game where Michigan State gets blown out by fifteen twenty. like I want Michigan State if you're a state fan, you wanna be there in like the last like four or five minutes. like it might be like eight points. It might be ten, but at least it gives you a chance going into that last timeout that saying, hey, if we get a couple of saps here and make a couple of shots, we're in there in the last couple of possessions.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think my biggest thing that I really, really look for, especially in early season, is I just like to see guys that are willing to take chances when they're playing. Like guys that are, you know, going to be confident. They're going to try to make a try to make a move, try to get to the hoop. They're comfortable taking their shots. Because um, I feel like, especially for a lot of young players that are getting used to Izzo's system, Um, You know, you can get big-time recruits that come in. You can get four and five stars that have a lot of promise and potential. But it's pretty clear that they're concerned about making a mistake and that when they make that mistake, they're going to get benched. Um, And so I really, really like it when you can see some young guys like a Xavier Booker or a Fears or a Cohen Carr that are willing to take some chances, um, willing to make some mistakes, play hard, and kind of start to build that confidence really early in the season because that's obviously – when you start to develop the foundation for having contributors in March and having actual depth in March, which is really what you need to make a run in the tournament. Um, So I just really hope that some of the young guys are willing to, you know, attack the hoop, shoot their shot, willing to actually, um, you know, act as offensive threats um, because that's what we're going to need later in the season.
0: Exactly. And I think these freshmen are going to be kind of the ceiling for Michigan State, because I think I don't want to say Michigan State technically has a safe floor because I don't necessarily think they do have an entirely safe floor. But I think these freshmen also allow Michigan State to have a pretty high ceiling. And we really saw that in this game against Alcorn. State. I think one thing that we kind of have to do is put like a little like asterisk by this game because guess what this is Elkhorn State like Elkhorn State is not a good team mm-hmm. like this is not going to be the level of team Michigan State's going to be playing down the road but at the same time you saw some flashes in there that you're like hey if these players can kind of grow off of these flashes or if let's say Corn Car can get a couple more rebounds because he's not a shooter right now like We know how insane of an athlete he is. Like, just watch any of his dunks. Like, he is literally – his, like, face is over the rim. Like, he – like, people can't jump with him. And he he even said after the game, he's like, yeah, I was kind of surprised that guy could actually jump with me, (laughs) which in itself I think is really funny just because of how, like, insane his, like, haps are. But at the same time, if these freshmen can grow – and I think one player that people really need to kind of start talking a little bit about is – Jeremy Fierce, because I think A.J. Hogarth and I think a lot of people think A.J. Hogarth has not been playing very well. He has not been playing up to the level that he needs to in order for Michigan State to kind of reach that ceiling. And we've seen A.J. Hogarth go off here and there, but he needs to be more consistent. So if Jeremy Fierce can kind of continue to push him, maybe he might be a little bit more consistent or maybe at the end of the season, we can be seeing 50-50 minutes between A.J. Hogart and Jeremy Fears. And if you ask some people, they might have not thought that was even possible.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and I, I really do hope that having some of that friendly competition from a younger player like Fears is gonna hopefully push Hogarth to kind of get him in gear because like you said, I mean, especially last season, A. J. Hogart had moments where he was, you know, the the true defined number one scoring option in several different games. Um, and especially even in the Kansas State game in the Sweet 16, he was unstoppable. I mean, he if he wanted to get to the rim and score, he was just he was just gonna. And there wasn't anything they could do to stop him. Um, so it'd be great to see him get back to that place. Um, and hopefully, having a guy like Fears who's really starting to you know come into his own and continue to develop, and clearly is a very good vocal leader on the floor. When you just, you just watch how he communicates and you watch how he's able to orchestrate and put people in the right places. Um, I think it's really just going to add continued depth to the team and uh, hopefully we can be a team that can really play like 10, 11, 12 guys deep in March.
0: Jeremy Fears is the ISO point guard. Like yeah. he is, like, in my opinion, he is everything he looks for. And that is, like, very high IQ. He's very smart. He can run an offense very well. His offense in itself isn't there necessarily but if you have Coach Tom Izzo basically bringing up team Cleaves in the same conversation as you as a freshman that's pretty high praise like when's the last time you've seen Tom Izzo ever talk about a player like that like even maybe like maybe a little bit like Tyson Walker maybe a little bit more like later on down the road like Cassius Winston but not as a freshman
1: yeah I agree I agree. Yeah, I think that um, him, obviously, Mateen Cleaves is. It's like Mateen Cleaves and Magic Johnson are kind of the, the two gold standards that you you know, <laughs> are almost impossible to reach in the eyes of a lot of Michigan State basketball fans, um, especially of older generations. Um, so if Tom Izzo is is mentioning his name in the sentences of, you know, those guys, then I think that definitely says something.
0: I definitely think Cassius is the closest to those guys, at least in my opinion as of recent. I think mm-hmm. if Cassius would have won that national championship or would have got that run his senior year, I definitely think that he would be up there. Now it just depends on what senior year would have done in that tournament because guess mm-hmm. what? You never know what happens in the NCAA tournament. We've seen teams go out early that shouldn't have, and we've seen teams that – Shouldn't I have gone out early, make a run to the Final Four? So I definitely think him losing his senior year kind of hurts a little bit. But, yeah, I definitely agree that it's really hard to kind of reach that pinnacle of those two players at Michigan State. And, honestly, like by the time this podcast comes out, we could be talking completely different about this team because by the time this podcast gets released – Michigan State's going to have played Arizona. So we might be panicking a little bit. Or we might just say, oh, yeah, Michigan State's back. So don't know which one it is. But if Michigan State, like I said, can keep within decently close or even pull off a win, that would do huge things for this team going forward. And then maybe a little bit kind of people might jump back on the bandwagon a little bit, especially around national media. Now, if it's a pull up maybe – Again, back to a little bit of, of a worry.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, I guess we're gonna find out when we're all stuffed with turkey and half asleep on the couch.
0: Exactly that that's what that's what Thanksgiving is for. It's
1: yeah, and I think couch. it works out nice because isn't it like a four o'clock game and the Lions are at one? Isn't that right?
0: Lions are at twelve thirty, so we get so we get oh. like twelve thirty to like 330, 3.45, Go get some food. And then jump on at four o'clock and watch Michigan State go up against number three Arizona.
1: Nonstop sports action, baby.
0: Exactly. That's that's what Thanksgiving is for. It's a national sports day.
1: <laughs> well, talk to me about the Spartan footballs. Uh, you know what? In, in particular, what I really want to get into, aside from the obvious of it's it's been a, a tumultuous season to say the least. I want you to tell me who you think today head coach is going to be
0: that's an interesting one because depending on who you ask I think there's three or four names that have kind of been brought up I maybe five I think the most unlikely one and I don't think will happen is Urban Meyer like there's been his name's been brought up I don't think it's like super serious I don't think it's going to happen That's just my opinion. Depending on who you ask, some people might believe differently. But I don't think Urban Meyer is Michigan State's head coach. And depending on who you ask, some people might say great. Some people might be very sad about that. Just kind of depends. But there's a couple other coaches that I've been kind of really interested in. Um, Number one is I think Mike Elko, um, the head coach for Duke, I think his name has been kinda of thrown around quite a bit. He also has been kind of thrown around to Texas A and M, but Texas A and M job is open. So that's gonna kinda of maybe put things a damper on a little bit. Um you also have Lance Leopold, the head coach from Kansas. If you can win at Kansas, you can do a whole lot, especially when it's a football coach. So they're not yeah. they're not really given very much. Like if you can win at Duke and at Kansas as football coaches in my opinion you're a good coach you're a quality coach you might not be like that extremely high of a ceiling like you might not be able to ever win a national championship with that coach but you might be you might win nine ten games here and there and then solid eight nine games every year and for some people at Michigan State, they're completely all right with that because guess how long it's been since Michigan State has done that consistently? Been a little while, and even before that was a really long time before Antonio came. Then there's a couple other names that has been kind of thrown around: um, Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State head coach. Um, actually, no, I think he's. Um, I actually think he's Oklahoma um, State. Actually, now that I think about it. Um, He's done great things over there. He has, I believe, he they are like nine and three, I believe, at this point. He's been really good over there. So, but he doesn't really have ties to the Midwest, so that's one thing that um people are a little worried about because kind of the Midwest is pretty big for Michigan State. But yeah, he is the head coach at um Oregon State, and he's done extremely well over there. They almost. Beat Washington yesterday. They they only lost 22 to twenty two to twenties, and they are number fifteen in the country. And then the last one is Jed Fish over at Arizona. He's been winning at Arizona, and he's almost beat a couple other really good teams. Like he, I'm pretty sure Arizona up.
1: beat Oregon State. I think did they?
0: They might have. That's a that's a really good question. But yeah, he, he's forty seven years old. So, he's not, like, extremely young, but he's pretty young. Like, for a head coach in Division One. he's not old. A couple of these other guys are a little older, like Lance is, I believe, in his 60s, around there. I believe he's actually a year younger than Urban Meyer is, which is actually kind of interesting. But I think those are kind of names that I'd be interested in, in seeing at Michigan State. Jeff Fish... Jonathan Smith, Mike Elko, and Lance Leopold. I don't think Leopold comes here. I think Leopold stays at Kansas. I think Elko goes to Texas A&M. So I think it's between Jed Fish and Jonathan Smith.
1: What do you think about potentially Jason Candle from Toledo?
0: That's another name that's been brought up. I personally don't mind it. Like, he's not at the top of my list, honestly. Like, if it would do, if I would do like tiers, he would probably be in my tier two list. Like, the four people that I named would probably be like tier one, tier one B. Let's just say tier one B. Because I think if, I think if anyone, like, as a sportsman, if you can say like, you get Urban Meyer. Like, I know people don't like him, but I think Urban Meyer has to be tier one A because of how much he is win. But again, that's not happening in my opinion. So I think I think Kendall is tier two in my opinion. I think he would do fine here. I think he could be very much of a D'Antonio type guy, a guy that comes in that will get you seven, eight wins, sometimes nine, 10 wins. Do I think he could win? Like I said, do I think he could win a national championship at Michigan State? No. Do I think you could do much worse as a hire? Yes. I think you could do much worse as a hire than Jason Kendall. Like, he's done pretty good at Toledo. They have only lost one game this year. They're running through the MAC, And if you want a guy that has roots in the Midwest, Jason Kendall is your guy.
1: Yeah, wasn't he – he was – O.C. at Mount Union when Matt Campbell was there, right?
0: Yes, I believe he was. I believe he was at Mount Union.
1: I mean, that's another guy that obviously a couple years ago was you know, really the hot ticket that stayed Pat at Iowa State and has since cooled off quite a bit. But I don't know. What do you think about um, if MSU potentially made an offer to Matt Campbell at Iowa State?
0: I think Matt Campbell should have left when he did. Yeah. I I think Matt Campbell... While he's a decent head coach, I think he should have taken advantage of when his name was a hot ticket and should have went to one of the big schools. Like, guess what? Like, Iowa State isn't bad. Like, Iowa State's not a bad location. If you can get them to kind of like where they are right now, again, kind of in that mailing range, like, you're not going to lose your job. Like, no one is expecting Iowa State to compete for college college football playoff. So, if I'm Matt Campbell, I'm staying until they're saying, hey, goodbye. Or maybe another opportunity comes up that might be a little bit of an upward trajectory. But if I'm Matt Campbell, you have things going at Iowa State. So, I'll just stay. He should have left when he was, like, the hat guy. But that's just my opinion.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely in hindsight. I mean, he, he definitely could have landed a, a sizable contract at one of the biggest schools. But – um. But, yeah, I guess we'll see. What do you think? um, I mean, I know there was talk like a week or two ago when he was uh, more so on the hot seat, but obviously, after getting a win against USC, it seems like that's cooled off a bit. But um, the talk was that UCLA was going to get rid of Chip Kelly. Do you think that uh, if you're Michigan State, you either make an offer or you uh, offer an interview if he does end up getting fired?
0: I think if you would ask me a couple of years ago, like, during, like, the run when he was, like, not a couple of years ago, but especially during the run at Oregon, yeah, absolutely. Right now, I would kind of pull it back. Like, yeah. I do think Chip Kelly has done things at UCLA that are extremely difficult, but I don't think Chip Kelly's the coach he used to be. At least it doesn't seem like he tries as much as he used to be. Maybe he just never tried, but I think Chip Kelly has things going to about where he wants to go. And I think he would put Michigan State back to, again, kind of in that mailing range that fans seem like they don't want to be. At least that's what it kind of seemed like the um, fans, the donors, the board wanted Michigan State to kind of get out of, especially because that's why they gave former head coach Mel Tucker that much money. (laughs) I, I, I think they're not afraid to spend money to get a guy. You've seen it with the assistant pool. Like, they're one of the most highest paid assistant pools in the country. They're willing to spend money. Now, just go get a guy. Go get better assistants, too, because assistants have been awful.
1: Yeah. I mean, there have been some uh, special teams debacles for sure this year. But, uh, <laughs> just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. He, yeah. I, he sh- he should have this... been left
0: on the tarmac a long time ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that the Chip Kelly thing is interesting because they, he obviously at Oregon and the run that he had at Oregon, um, part of what made them so dominant is that they were taking this very new approach to the game where, you know, not only like West Coast spread offense type stuff, but they were also playing at a pace that other teams are not used to playing at. You know, they were getting a playoff every like 15 seconds or whatever it was. Like they were playing really fast, um, they played this fast and loose aggressive style. They had a lot of offensive success, which bred more success through recruiting because guys wanted to play there. Um, And it seems like now that he's um, at UCLA, it seems like it's a lot more of uh, he wants to be like a smash-mouth kind of running team, which is interesting because it seems like it kind of cuts against a lot of what he did at Oregon. Um, Was that philosophy more of like – the offensive staff at the time and a little bit less of what Chip Kelly had initially had in mind. But I don't really think so because you saw what he did when he went to the Eagles and he had Michael Vick. It again was, we're going to, you know, five wide out sets, We're going to play fast and loose. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I would be interested to see MSU take a more aggressive run-and-gun type of offensive approach because I think that especially in the current landscape, it's really tough to live in a world where you're gonna kind of win the battle against Michigan and Ohio State and the trenches on a regular basis um, it just seems like we kind of lack the the recruits to do that for the most part so I think it would be cool to to try to play a little bit smaller and faster on the perimeter but um, but I don't know man I, I just I guess I hope that they just pursue somebody that has hopefully an impressive offensive pedigree because I would just love to see us get to the point where we are a team that could you know, Score twenty points consistently.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would definitely love to see that as well. And I think one point that you made that is pretty interesting, and I think looking back, as it, kind of true. I don't know, like how, like in the advanced Oregon was like the actual like play calling, like the plays that were set up, like the play design. I think a lot of their success had to do with how fast they were moving like teams weren't used to that and even in the nfl like back then you weren't really seeing the nfl sling the rock around as much as they are right now so i wonder if it had a lot to do more with the play style than it was the actual play calling the the play design i bet you there's some really good play design play calls as well they had some incredible athletes probably out-athleted a majority of the teams that they played but at the same time you had teams again that were kind of, and this, if you want like a true kind of display of teams how they played back then, look at Michigan. Like, Michigan isn't going to be a team that's going to throw five wide out and just throw the ball over the field. They're going to, they're one of the kind of few teams left that you can think of that's kind of like slow, maniacal, grind you, grind you down, continue to keep going. And then by the third or fourth quarter, your defensive shot. And we've seen that over and over. Not many teams have been able to succeed at that as much as Michigan has. And we'll see what that happens against Ohio State this weekend.
1: Yeah, I, I am very excited for that game, per usual. Um, I think that just the before we move on to the next subject, I think that that Oregon – you know, playing fast style in in a lot of ways, I think it restructured the way the college football was played. Um, And and it's not quite to the, to that level that it was then now. Um, But, you know, you look at every, like every single team runs some variants of, you know, a a shotgun or a pistol set, um, mouse backs, um, lots of receivers, and they can have some power packages. But there isn't like a single team that exists out there right now. I'm oh, sorry. Griffin's working. Griff. <laughs> Come here, you. Come here. But there isn't a single team out there that plays like Wisconsin, other than like Wisconsin. But if you look at the early Nick Saban Alabama teams with, you know, Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry, it really was a lot of traditional pro-style offenses, big offensive linemen, big powerful running backs, win the battle in the trenches, um, play action, and that doesn't really exist anymore. It's based around what Oregon was able to have the success with that they did. Um, in the same way that the Warriors changed the way the back. Um, you know, they decided that you know, we can basically just go small, spread the floor. That obviously helps when you have guys like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, but we can craft an offensive style that's going to kind of revolutionize the game that people currently don't have the personnel to play with um so i don't know i'm sorry it's a bit of a a football history rant there but i think it's interesting to talk about
0: no it definitely is very interesting to talk about i'm kind of interested to see like what the next like evolution is to Mm -hmm. the sport because we've seen it like go like high space high scoring not much defense like just look at usc they don't play defense the pac-12 doesn't play defense there's not many teams that Play defense very much anymore. Like I think Alabama is pretty good at defense. Michigan's good at defense. Alabama's good at defense. Georgia's good at defense. I I've said Alabama twice there, but that's kind of you know, just Ohio State, Al- Alabama. Ohio State's been really good at defense. They've kind of been ca- letting their defense carry their team mm-hmm. as well. You still have Mario Harrison Jr., which is an insane matchup point I one against anyone. Like I will take Mario Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. over anyone, any given day but I'm going to be interested to see if like, it kind of goes back a little bit more to saying hey you know what everyone has this great offense what if we have this good offense but this stout defense that kind of causes this elite offense to struggle a little bit guess what if we do that it's game over
1: yeah yeah I think that you've well just as a broader college football discussion um, obviously there's been a lot of kind of, actually, I, I guess I'm a little bit conflicted in saying this, but I guess it feels like there's been a broader consolidation of like firepower and dominance to the top couple of teams. Um, obviously it's been like Georgia the last couple of years, Alabama, Clemson's kind of falling off, but Michigan has obviously been up there. Ohio state's been up there. There've been like maybe five or six programs that have been just kind of different than everyone else. But then again, at the same time, I guess you look back in in history, and there have been teams all throughout college football history, and you can look at like the early two thousands Miami Hurricanes, or like the mid two thousands USC teams, or you can look at the Saban Alabama teams. Like there have been teams that are just you know, built different, right? Than <laughs> kind of everybody else. Exactly. So I I guess I guess maybe my point's a little bit moot, but but it does feel like there's kind of a, a powerful group of elite teams and then there's kind of everybody else.
0: No, I completely agree. And I'm gonna be interested to see how the college football playoff kind of changes that. Like does it change it? Are we gonna still have the top four teams making it the last four or are we going to see some upsets pulled? I think we've Been seeing a little, like, I don't want to say like a little bit, like, of these teams kind of coming back, but like, look at what Georgia was like the last two years absolutely dominant in every single game. And while earlier this year they haven't looked like that, guess what? Georgia's back to absolutely dominate again. Like, look at what they did against Missouri. Look at what you have teams doing against Ole Miss. You have just teams absolutely dominating these top 10 teams. And if you're Alabama, if you're Georgia, let's say Alabama pulls off that upset to win the SEC, then that's going to be a huge discussion. Are you going to put Georgia at number four? Like, are you going to do a two SEC game again and have, like, maybe Alabama three, Georgia four? You're going to have a Florida State team that just lost a starting quarterback that probably will win the ACC championship. I think this could be a year that's going to be absolute chaos and for someone that kind of loves sports chaos, it would be very exciting to see. Because I think in the past, and this is a conversation I've had with a few people, I think like the one through three for a lot of years is kind of like figured out. And like four is like everyone kind of knows who it is. If if it isn't them, it'd be kind of a surprise. I think this year, depending on how these next two weeks go, I think it could be like, okay, we have one, we have two, because whoever wins ohio state michigan is going to the college football playoff right like we already can say that yeah um and then unless they lay an egg
1: against iowa but yeah
0: (laughs) yeah unless they lose to iowa which that would make it even bigger of a surprise then two you probably have georgia alabama in my opinion unless they want to put florida state at two but i think it's going to be Kind of hard to, and some people might disagree with this argument because there's like, hey, they want. let's say they win the ACC, they're undefeated, they should get at number two. But at the same time, you, you can't tell people without Jordan Travis that Florida State's number two. Like, Jordan Travis is huge, but at the same time, again, so this is like where this argument comes back and forth, and I honestly have no idea what's going to happen. So I kind of just want to see like what they do with Florida State.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be weird. I mean, they're, they're going to... Because, clearly, they have... If they go undefeated, I mean, you know, they, they've won every game, they're the ACC champion. Um, they, they've looked really good at times this season. So, they, on paper, have done all the things that you would want a team to do to fit into, you know, one of the four spots. But, obviously, them losing their starting quarterback and a guy that is a Heisman candidate, you know, it, it puts them like, obviously it makes them a significantly worse team. And so it, it seems like if you were to let them get in there against a Michigan, against the Georgia, against an Ohio state with a, you know, subpar quarterback, it looks like you're probably in a situation where Florida State's going to get butchered. That's going to make for a, a terrible game. So it, it does, it does get weird. And and then the, again, I can't express how excited I am for when they eventually do expand to the eight teams because that really does eliminate a lot of that. And it gives a much greater opportunity for the teams that really do make the Final Four or that do get to the championship game to, to truly be the best teams.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I completely agree with you on that. It's going to be really fun getting to watch the, I believe it's starting in twenty twenty. Four was when the new college football playoff format is, and also they're doing um on campus too for the first round.
1: So yeah, that's, I going, think to be, that's going to be super cool. And it is going to be eight, right? Is it eight? I believe it's twelve actually. Was oh, it twelve? Well, that'll be awesome. Yeah, I, I've also I've really liked that idea, and I think it obviously um you know, for one, I think it plays to the heart of what makes college football really cool is obviously home college football atmospheres are very fun and exciting. So I think that if you could make a home college football game that has, you know, that that is some sort of a postseason game, I think that one, that's really just cool for everybody that's involved. But for two, it actually does greatly incentivize and reward teams that are going to be a higher seed.
0: Exactly. Bring me me a winter storm to (laughs) Michigan and the first week of the college football playoff. Like, Uh make like an SEC or a team from West come out and play in the stove like that Normal. would be that would be so, and we also have the Big Ten expanding next year as well. So we have USC, UCLA, um, Oregon, Washington. So things are changing in yeah. college football, college sports in general, and this is going to be kind of the last year of I don't want to say of this game being extremely important, but in my opinion, this could be the last year that the quote unquote the game that's taking place on noon on Saturday could be the difference between a college football playoff birth and not. Because if both of these teams are ranked high in this game, there's still a really good likelihood that in the next year that they could still both get in the 12-team 12, 12 playoff and then this game, quote-unquote, matters less. I think it still would matter because guess what? Ohio State and Michigan both do not like each other. I think that's oh, no. pretty clear but this game on saturday it's gonna be a gnarly one to say the least we got two games that are kind of i don't want to say polar opposites but they're kind of pretty similar this year and you have a team in michigan that won't have jim harbaugh on the sideline you have ryan day that if you lose this game you might be out of ohio state like at this point, even though, like, look at what he's done at would State. If you lose to three straight games to Michigan, especially one without the head coach, fans are going to be asking for his job.
1: Yeah, they, no, and I understand that, and I, I do think that it's, I do think that it's kind of silly when you think about it logically. Like he obviously has had tremendous success against everybody that isn't Michigan, and and I do fully understand the argument from both Michigan and Ohio State fans that the most important game to win every year is against, you know, neither the team from up north or the team from down south. But <clears throat> I guess it also stands to question, you know, who, who are you going to bring in? I mean, who's going to come in and suddenly, you know, be a, a 12-0, and win the Big Ten, beat Michigan, you know, go to the playoff, win and like, Like, who, who's sitting on the sidelines right now that you're going to just plug and play and have tremendous success with?
0: Brian Hartline, offensive coordinator, would probably be the next one in line.
1: Yeah, that's fair. But, again, I mean, even though the Brian Hartline obviously has legitimate football experience, he was in a, a wide receiver at Ohio State. I mean, he would be a great candidate to plug in there. But Bring he, in
0: all the five-star wide receivers, too, that they have.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. But it's it's a, there's a great question to it. It's like, you know, he's he is a great guy on paper, but he's never been the head coach before. So, I mean, you might plug in Brian Hartline, and it's suddenly Ohio State's winning eight or nine games a year which is obviously a a tremendous step back from where they've been over the last, you know, 25 years. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a prediction. Two predictions, actually. Who wins on Saturday? And I'm going to ask you even a bigger picture. Is Jim Harbaugh at Michigan next year?
1: So I'm going to say that... Michigan wins on Saturday. I think that they win 23-20.
0: Do they win the national championship if they win?
1: No. I think Georgia wins. I think Georgia three-peats. Okay. But if – I I think that the only way that Jim Harbaugh wouldn't be at Michigan next year is if, one, there's a lot more that comes out about the current scandal and there are, like, substantial penalties that are handed down to Michigan – where like they're losing, you know, scholarships and postseason opportunities or something like that. That's a potential. Or if two, there was like a really really ideal um, NFL head coaching job that were to open up to him, which I don't know exactly what that would be. Maybe the Colts. Obviously, he has history with the Colts and, and Jim Mersey. Um, Patriots. I mean, well, I guess that's a question of whether or not they would actually fire Belichick. But I, I think that he would need to. Not only go to a place with a history of winning, but if you need to go to a place with a history of winning, that probably had like a well-established good quarterback and like an owner that he would be able to get along with. But at the same time, I think that once you've been in college for so long, there's obviously a massive difference between coaching 19-year-olds and between coaching grown men that get paychecks. Um, and it's a different ballgame. Like you have to treat it differently. And I think that that's, and obviously Jim does have experience because he was a head coach of the Niners, but I think it's just kind of a different world. And I think that, you know, with the power and autonomy and authority that he has at Michigan, and obviously he is well-paid as well. Um, I think that there would really need to be something really, really, really nice for him in the NFL for him to want to leave.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I completely understand that, and I can definitely see that um, him staying. I would be interested to see if he does. I, th- I think he's – I don't want to make a prediction because I think – Make a probably... prediction.
1: Come on, make it.
0: I think it's 60 – I think the chance is 60-40. Um...
1: So 60% he's here, 40% he's gone?
0: I do. Okay. I honestly do. I think he's more likely to stay. But here's my caveat. I think that this team is as loaded as he's going to, I don't want to say ever get, but I think this is as loaded as he's ever had at Michigan. I think this will be his best chance to win a national championship at Michigan, at least from in the past, like we've seen what the teams have done the last few years not close to Georgia. Does that mean he can build it again? Go compete next year? Absolutely. But you see how many of these players that are playing right now are juniors, seniors, or, six-year guys, or fifth-year, six-year guys. Like, they are losing so many players this year. Like, Blake Corum's already said he's gone. He's not coming back. At least that's what I've seen. J.J. McCarthy might not be back. Um, offensive line – has been not as good, but still been pretty good. And then defense is probably losing quite a few players as well. So there's a real chance that this Michigan team, while they will still be really good next year, won't be as experienced as it is this year. And also with teams like, again, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, they're going to play Texas next year. Mm -hmm. That's not an easy schedule to be coming off of a team that's coming off of a very great year, but might be losing quite a few players.
1: Yeah, I think that, I actually just had this pop into my head. I think that if, and this is a big if, but if the Chargers job was open, and they were willing to offer it to him, and he could go in there, and they obviously have a lot of Pro Bowl talent. They've got Justin Herbert. You're in Los Angeles. Um, I think that that could be a potential fit that Harbaugh might be interested in. Um, but I think that if he were to leave Michigan, again, like I think he would really need to have like a, a, something really, really nice lined up in the NFL. But I, I do think the Chargers could potentially – I mean, they, they really have tremendous players on both sides of the ball. They just are the Chargers, and Chargers are going to Charger. So who knows? I mean, maybe maybe Jim Harbaugh could actually be the guy to step in there and start to make the, the Chargers a more consistent team in the same way that he – was able to take a, a kind of down-and-out 49ers team post-Steve Young, Joe Montana, and start to make them, you know, took them to the Super Bowl. So maybe that could actually be a, a really good fit if at the end of this year that Chargers job is open.
0: Exactly, and I that will, and that should be open, in my opinion. Brandon Saley should be gone after this year. He probably should be gone at this point, to be completely mm-hmm. honest with you. But um, I do, like I said, I do think there's a higher percentage that Jim Harbaugh comes back outside of like kind of some of the things that you said don't know if that's true. Um, we, I don't think anyone knows what's happening at, at this point. Like there's been like stuff coming out, but I don't think anyone knows the extent of it. And whenever the whole extent of it, it will definitely be covered on here. I will give my thoughts and this will be something that we probably won't be talking about for another year because the NCAA is extremely slow. They do not like making quick decisions and We'll see if Jim Harbaugh is even there again. I'll be surprised if he isn't, but also at the same time, if he goes to a college football playoff again, maybe falls a little bit short in the national championship. Maybe he's like, Hey, this is as far as we can go.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, uh, before we uh wrap this baby up, why don't you talk to me about these Detroit Lions?
0: What a what a game, honestly, yesterday. Um, but before we get into that game, I was telling you about a quote that Dan Campbell said. I don't know if you've been able to see that quote, but I think this quote kind of encapsulates this game last night, for, or yeah, yesterday for the Lions. Um, hopefully you haven't seen it. We'll see if you I have,
1: I have not seen any quotes.
0: Okay, so we'll, we'll get your live reaction. We'll get you to see exactly what you thought. So. Dan Campbell was asked about his fourth down risks, like the fourth down risk he takes on a show. And his answer was, here's what I would say, because I tell my family this, just wear a diaper before some of these games. I'll <laughs> give them an alert and say, put them on and be ready to roll. <laughs> So yeah, he told uh, him. I don't know if he honestly does tell it. Actually, at this point, it wouldn't surprise me if he does like text something.
1: <laughs> listen, but, Dan Campbell's the type of guy that I would I would picture him wearing like an astronaut diaper underneath his uh, pants at the games. Like he's like, listen, <laughs> listen, man. <laughs> like sometimes it just gets to be too uh, too much out there. You got to go, brother. Like I I would see that. So yeah, I don't know. That's that's tremendous. That's tremendous. That's the the type of. Uh, the, the type of risk taking I like to see in an uh, NFL head coach. I i like everybody else is Lions fan. I'm very pleased with uh, MCDC.
0: Yeah, I am too. And that quote I think, like I said, perfectly encapsulates kind of like the game yesterday. Because I don't know how much of the game that you saw, but Lions were absolutely getting dominated for like three fourths of this game. Like the Lions were losing to the Bears. Like the Bears were basically kind of in a similar position that a lot of Lions fans in the past were, where it's like, Hey, like we're just like driving the ball down the field. You can't do anything. Um, Lions are throwing a lot of interceptions golf through three interceptions. And the next thing you know, Lions make a comeback ends up winning by five after a, I believe like 76 yard or 76 second touchdown drive to get the Lions in a possibility to get the ball back, gets a three and out, and then Lions get the ball back, go down, score with about 29 seconds left, go up one at the time, and then go for two, get the two point conversion, and then Aiden Hutchinson makes the biggest play of the season because he went, I believe I saw the sour, they said the that he went to over 200 plus naps without a single sack. And then he makes that play with 21 seconds le- left to force a safety by the Chicago Bears.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was uh, – I, I was not able to watch the game live. I was doing some work around the house. But I went back and I watched like the full 15-minute YouTube highlights of the whole game sort of thing. Um, and I was able to obviously watch all the, the big key plays at the moment. And um, especially the, the strip sack where, you know, the ball gets kicked out of the back of the end zone at the end. Like that was that, that was like the ultimate exclamation point on the game and a, a huge, obviously emotional moment, an emotional win. Um, and I'm just I'm just stoked to watch the game on Thursday, baby. I'm just I'm ready to, to watch them go out there and hopefully beat the brakes off of Green Bay on Thanksgiving and uh, for it to be a, <laughs> a Lions Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, I am too. It's a huge game against the Packers. And I actually saw a stat. Um, I believe this is the first time ever a team had committed three-plus turnovers and had less than 20 minutes of possession to win a football game in the NFL.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Because, what, there were three golf interceptions and, what, a muffed punt? Is that what it was?
0: Uh, fumble um, from a kickoff return.
1: Oh, wow. No. Yeah, I mean, if you're – Turn the ball over four times in a game in the NFL and you find a way to win it. That's, we'll take it.
0: That's basically like the Lions, but on the opposite side yeah. of the coin, yeah. because like the Lions would have done what the Bears did. And 100%. this just, and the whole saying like the same old lines, like I do think this is kind of the brand new Lions. And one thing I kind of want to end on is I was thinking of this earlier because. This team, I don't want to say it's like the team of destiny, stuff like that. But one thing that kind of like drew my mind to this team and one thing I'm kind of nervous about, do you think this is this year's Minnesota Vikings?
1: I get why some people would say that, but it's, you know, the Lions haven't really been winning in like ridiculous. They're always losing. They always have to come back, you know, win by a field goal at the end of the game. Like, they've had a lot of impressive wins where it's been them, you know, kind of imposing their will on other teams. Um, frankly, outside of the Ravens game and apparently the first three quarters of yesterday's game, they're really most of the games, the Lions have been pretty impressive. Um, whereas last year's Vikings definitely had impressive moments and had some highlight plays, but it was a lot of just like, we're always in a close one, we're always doing just enough to win, we're always just kind of sneaking by. Um, so I don't know. I don't think that we are. I think that this has a, a truly been an impressive team. Um, and I just hope that they can kind of remain focused, uh, continue to win. I think it'd be – I think there's a really good chance that the Eagles obviously lose tonight at Arrowhead on Monday Night Football. Um, which then
0: would give us first in the NFC North.
1: Yeah, which is, which is almost scary to think about because, uh, again, I, I almost worry about like suddenly the Lions are in the driver's seat and they're not really the underdogs anymore. I think that obviously kind of that whole Detroit Lion mentality, a lot of it's built around nobody believes in us. So when you suddenly find yourself in first place at Thanksgiving, that's kind of uncharted Detroit territory. So who knows exactly how that works out, but I just I hope that they can continue to, to focus, to play well every week. And, I mean, if there's a universe out there somewhere where we can lock up you know the the first round buy in the NFC and then have home field for the whole playoffs. I mean, that would be absolutely unbelievable.
0: That would be a first time in a lot of people's lives. Lives that would yes. ever happen. Like like when people say that's a once in life opportunity, it's legitimately a once in life opportunity for like probably like eighty percent of the people
1: alive in Michigan. Oh yeah, I mean, what was the last championship? Was it nineteen fifty five? Is that what it was?
0: Something like that. And the last playoff win was 1991, which, to end the podcast, I'm going to ask two more predictions for you. Okay. Do the Lions win the division? So that would mean a home playoff game, at least one. And do the Lions get their first playoff win since 1991?
1: So I'm going to say definitely yes to the division. Um... I shouldn't say definitely yes, because somehow the Vikings have still been, you know, stringing together wins. And, and Josh Dobbs has been playing very well. Um, they did
0: lose that night, though. So
1: That is true. That is true. So that helps. Um, and obviously, if we can beat Green Bay um, on Thursday, that's going to, you know, pad the lead even more. But um, so I would say yes, we're going to win the division. Um, I guess it's just going to be interesting to see who we would draw in that home playoff game. I mean, obviously having the home playoff game, I think that we would be favored against just about anybody. Um, but there's, I mean, I guess you would look at the the potential NFC playoff teams. Obviously the Eagles would be up there, though, though we wouldn't be running into the Eagles in the first round. Um, I mean, the Saints are a team that could sneak in there, and New Orleans is good. Um, just
0: no Seahawks, please. Yeah, well, but isn't Geno hurt? Oh, yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, honestly, the Seahawks with a with a backup quarterback and we're playing at home, and it would be a revenge game for us. I mean, I actually don't necessarily hate that prospect, um, but obviously San Fran's fantastic. Um, the Cowboys on the road, especially on the road in the playoffs, I actually definitely don't mind that. Um, I'm trying to think of some other NFC teams that are in the hunt. I don't know. I mean, I think that we would have a pretty good shot against – I would like our chances against anybody that isn't Dallas at home, San Francisco, or the Eagles. I would think that we would have a a pretty – I would think that we would be favored to beat pretty much everybody else. I think that we would be small underdogs against pretty much the the other three teams that I mentioned.
0: Yeah, I do not want to play the Eagles or the um, 49ers at this point. Yeah, We'll see what we can do against the Cowboys because we're playing the Cowboys later this year at – Dallas. So we'll see what happens for Didn't that. Did we play at Dallas last year? I think we might have actually.
1: I call BS. Come on now. Come on. Now. I,
0: I know we do. I I know we do play Dallas. I'm pretty sure. So again, so we'll we'll see where we're second up there.
1: Exactly. We'll see what Dak's going to do.
0: Awesome. Well, Sunday night no not sunday monday night footballs taking place in uh, four minutes so that's almost started i know you'll probably have a couple other things going on tonight hopefully you can relax the rest of the night if not um yeah i appreciate you joining we definitely have to get you back on a lot sooner than we did but always love talking sports with you especially on the podcast um don't forget, if you ever want to be the co-host, there's always that option out there as well. <laughs> gotta, keep, gotta keep plugging that a little bit, but yeah, always, always really enjoy talking with you, man, and can't believe it's episode 200, and this will be, by the time this gets released, we'll know what happens for Michigan State, we'll know what happens for the big game for the most part, so if you're listening by now, you're probably like, all oh, this is all news, but I don't care because it's <laughs> fun. It's episode two hundred and if you tune in, that means you support the podcast and I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. I uh I always enjoy these. Um truly is a, a joy and a privilege to get to be a part of it. Um I'm so happy for you to get to two hundred episodes. That's like I said in the beginning, that's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of prep. There's a lot of things that go into it. It's a lot of just discipline to make sure that you do it on a regular basis. So congratulations man and I, I know that you're gonna continue to have a lot of success with the show
0: thank you man i really appreciate it. i really appreciate you joining would love to have you back on here shortly again but yeah that's a wrap to episode number 200 thank you again to cole for joining and turn to the next episode